Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, everybody. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. It is my honor to be able to bring the word this morning. Uh, We are going to be in Joshua. Uh, We are almost done with Joshua. Joshua 23. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn, uh, open it up to Joshua 23. Um, If you do not have a Bible, we have them available for you at the ends of the aisles. If you need a Spanish-speaking Bible, uh, they are right here on the ledge. Um, And uh, yeah, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one home with you. Uh, I'm excited to to finish this up. We have been... um, We've moved very quickly through the last portion of this book, Uh, and before you know it, it is going to be Christmas time. So Thanksgiving is coming quickly, and uh, we're going to start a Christmas series where we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, looking at the different names of God, Uh, and then it'll be the new year and a new book. Uh, So we're excited to jump into uh, something new. Yeah, so uh, Joshua 23. Um, Let me start with this question. Uh, what do you think of when you hear the word legacy? What do you think of when you hear the word legacy? I, um, I think well, what I just thought of right now is I think that sounds like a, like a car name. I feel like cars are named like legacy. Uh, I think you think of just like finances. You'd be like, man, this is like an inheritance that you've been given maybe by someone or an inheritance that you're going to give to someone. Maybe you think of um, historical figures, like someone that is significant, that has lived a life of impact that has gone beyond their time and into the next. Um, Yeah, maybe you think of uh, someone personal in your own life where you're just like, man, that person left a legacy. Uh, Maybe you think about your own life. Maybe it comes from a place of hurt where you're like, you know what, I've been given something um, that wasn't mine to begin with, and I'm healing from some things uh, that actually was generational. Um, maybe you think of there's a pride in you where you're like, man, this is I come from a family that um, carries a strong legacy with it. Um, legacy, that word can it can mean a lot of different things. I think let's let um, the dictionary define it for us real quick. Oxford Dictionary says the legacy defines it as the long lasting impact of particular events, actions, etc. Uh, that took place in the past or of a person's life. Um, all right, so when I think of legacy, uh, there's so many people that we could talk about right now, but one of the people that I think of is a man named William Wilberforce. And I thought about whether or not I would share this, and I'm like, man, these stories just need to be reflected on. Um, William Wilberforce uh, lived from 19, uh, 1759 to 1833 uh, in England, Yorkshire, England to be specific. Um, He was in politics. He did a lot of different things with his life, but he was primarily in politics. And the reason that he got into politics was because of the things that he saw going on in the world, primarily um, the slave trade that he saw, that there were British slaves that would go to Africa and that they would trade goods for people and they would come back and they would trade these slaves. And it impacted not just England and and Great Great Britain, but also all the Americas, that there was um, about 12.5, it's estimated over the slave trade, about 12.5 million Africans that were sold into slavery as a result of this. And so William Wilberforce sees this happening in his lifetime and he enters in. Um, he wrote in his, in his journal um, that in, on October 28th in 1778, he wrote, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, uh, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. Um, that when I think manners, I think about the table. Um, that's not what he's saying. He's saying morals. Um, that the slave trade and that we would become a good people um, that would understand what is right and wrong and we would choose what is good. 
Um, so he used his, the entirety of his political career to push back um, against this slave trade. And um, there's just specific moments when you think about the legacy that he carried and the way that it impacted the way that, that the slave trade was done away with. But then there's specific moments in his life that um, are just unique and kind of go beyond um, that. And so I wanted to just read a little bit for you this morning about William Wilberforce. I didn't know, if, I don't know if you knew that this is what you were getting into this morning, but we're going to do it. It's going to be great. Um, this is from uh, a book called 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy, um, Faithful, Flawed, and Fruitful by John Piper. Um, this is what he writes about William Wilberforce. He says, it says, but the night, or should I say early morning, a victory came in 1807. The moral vision and the political movement uh, momentum of abolition had finally become irresistible. He just is kind of recording this moment. He says, at one point, the house rose almost to a man and turned towards Wilberforce in a burst of parliamentary cheers. Suddenly, above the roar of here, here, and quiet out of order, three hurrahs echoed and echoed while he sat, head bowed, tears streaming down his face. At 4 a.m., February 24th, 1807, the house divided. 283 yeas, 16 nays, majority for the abolition, 267. And on March 25th, 1807, the royal assent was declared. One of Wilberforce, uh, one of Wilberforce's friends wrote, Wilberforce attributed to the immediate interposition of providence. And in that early morning hour, Wilberforce turned to his best friend and colleague, Henry Thornton, and he said, well, Henry, what should we abolish next? <laughs> um, that's beautiful. And then he goes on, he says, of course, the battle wasn't over and Wilberforce fought until his death 26 years later in 1833. Not only was the implementation of abolition, abolition law controversial and difficult, but all it did was abolish the slave trade and not slavery itself. That became the next major cause. In 1821, Wilberforce recruited Thomas Fowle Buxton to carry on the fight. And from the sidelines, aged and fragile, he cheered him on. Three months before his death, 1833, he was persuaded to propose a last petition against slavery. I had never thought to appear in public again, he said, but it shall never be said that William Wilberforce is silent while the slaves requires help. The decisive vote of victory for that one came on July 26, 1833, only three days before Wilberforce died. Slavery itself was outlawed in the British colonies. A legacy. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Um... We're at this point in the book of Joshua. We have wrestled with this question. How will we acquire this land? All throughout the beginning of this book, it's how will God give us this land? And now we are wrestling with the question, how should we now live in this land? And Joshua, at this moment, we're gonna start with saying, Joshua is very old. And he is now at this point where he's doing something that is deeply, deeply biblical that he is handing something over. He's handing over a legacy. And I think for us, we now have this question is, what does it look like for you to live a faithful life and to carry a legacy with your life, that your life would have purpose and meaning? And Joshua addresses that. What does it look like for us to carry a legacy and to hand that over to the next generation in a way that is faithful? So when you see figures like Wilberforce, you see someone that was faithful to the Lord. Um, I, it reminds me um, of 
Well, so John Wesley wrote to Wilberforce right before he passed, and he said, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, talking about the slave trade, you will be worn out by opposition of man and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? That's a life of someone that is clinging to the Lord and is used in a way that carries a legacy well beyond his time. Um, let me read our passage for today. Joshua 23, let's start in verse one. It says, a long time ago afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all of their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all of Israel, its elders and its heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all of these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, these nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be strong, be very strong, to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from, from it neither to the right hand or to the left. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that in your word this morning, Lord, in your truth um, that we have, that we desperately need, Lord, that in a world where there just feels like, um, man, that there is, um, that we need something to grab hold of, Lord, I pray that we would run to your word and we would find an anchor, Lord, that we would see that it is true and is solid and is a firm ground that we can stand on. I pray that your spirit would lead us in this moment. I pray that you would teach us and guide us. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts as only you can. And Lord, I pray that as you look at the life of Joshua, the life of your servants, the life of your, peace, your people, Lord, that we would see what it looks like to walk and to be in your presence in a way that is faithful. So Father, we love you. In your name, amen. All right, so... Um, before we talk about this, I think as Christians, uh, we should be very concerned about our legacy. Um, I think it, we live in a very, we talk about this often because it's just the culture that we live in. We live in a very individualistic uh, culture, which means that we often think about here and now, me um, and not others. And so it's sometimes it's very difficult for us to see beyond, not even just like our immediate time frame. For us to think not just in like days and weeks and years, but that we would actually think in generations and kingdoms and eternity. That as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, we have more incentive than anyone else in the world to think as people who are carrying on something that was both already established, that we have now, and that one day we will hand off. Because we are just a piece of this. And all of this is moving towards something that is actually far greater than any one of us that we're invited into something, a legacy, the way that we say it here is that we're created, we're, we are meant to create a culture of discipleship and what we say is we're meant to continue the legacy of Jesus Christ. That's what we were made to do as followers of Jesus. So I think for me, it's encouraging because sometimes what we need to be told is that um, we are far more loved than we can realize, but sometimes we need to be told that we, um, we don't matter as much as we think we do. <laughs> Um, and there's value in that. Uh, and so I think as I reflected on that this week, I'm just like, man, there's freedom in understanding that I am just a piece of this. There's patience that comes with that. 
there's peace that comes with just knowing my faithfulness to the task that Lord, the Lord has put in front of me um, is a part of something that is bigger than myself. So the first thing that we're gonna see and I want you to remember is that a faithful legacy is built by setting your heart on God's faithfulness. A faithful legacy is built by setting your heart on God's faithfulness. All right, so I'm just gonna draw your attention to a couple different things. We're, gonna, we're not just gonna go straight through this passage. You're gonna, we're gonna just pull out a couple different passages as we go through and hopefully the whole thing comes together. So what I want you to see first is that the first thing that Joshua does is he says, listen, I'm old. <laughs> Um, and I get it, you know, I mean, uh, that's just something that I'm realizing more and more. I've, I've started, um, running regularly and, um, there's a pain that I've experienced afterwards. I'm at night, like rolling out like my muscles, you know, and like at 20 years old, this was not a thing. Um, but now I'm getting older. Uh, and so there's this, like Joshua's acknowledging it. Eventually he's going to say, I'm going to go the way of all the earth. And he's like, man, everyone dies and I'm getting closer to that day. And so it's Joshua's like, I'm old. And so he calls together the leaders and the elders. And this is something that has precedence. Moses did the same thing. David does the same thing. Jesus, when he has his followers and before he ascends into heaven, pulls his leaders together and says, listen, I'm with you. And he sends them. So there is this precedence of like, this is what it looks like. He's passing something down to them. This is what I've learned. And so... The first thing that he tells them and he reminds them of is not that they're awesome. Um, what he says is, look at your God. God is faithful. Uh, and so in verse three, he says, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all of these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. In verse nine, he says, for the Lord has driven out before you a great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he has promised. He's faithful. But listen to the way that he says this on this, la like this last verse in verse 14. I think this is my favorite way that it's said. It says, and now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and your souls, all of you, that not one of one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Do you get that? So what he's saying is not, hey, just consider the Lord. What he's saying is, this is not just something that you know in your mind. This is not just something that you have read about. He says, you know in your heart and your soul in the innermost recesses of your being that this truth remains, your God is faithful to keep his promises. This is what he's learned. Um, I think it's encouraging for me because it's something that we're quick to forget. Like in the most difficult moments when we're just like, all right, I know that God's called me to something and I'm trying to walk and be faithful to him, but very quickly we can just, we can get lost. Whether it's our own flesh that distracts us, whether it's things in the world that distract us, whether it's physical pain, whether it's emotional, whether it's relational, there's so many different things that we are just so susceptible to. And in those moments of crisis, very quickly, we just cry out like, Lord, where are you? And um, I'll say that's in some ways, that's okay. Um, I think of David, David in Psalm 22. I guess the way that you can think of it is oftentimes we find ourselves in Psalm 22 and not Psalm 23. Um, Psalm 22, David says, I'm poured out like water and all of my bones are out of joint. 
Understood. Um, my heart is like wax. It melts within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay, uh, you lay me in the dust of death. Good night, David. Um, and listen to what he says in verse 6. Uh, up a little bit further, he says, But I am a worm and not a man. Um, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me and they, and they make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. You look at that and you're like, sometimes I'm there. Um, and then you find David in Psalm 23 where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want you you make me lie down in green pastures and you lead me beside still waters. You restore my souls. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And so even David, in David, you see this truth. And I think, I think this is what is so important about what Joshua is doing here in his final moments. Um, I, see, I see this truth, what Joshua is, is trying to reveal to his people, I see this truth as something that um, he is not just saying, please believe this. I think what he's, he's acknowledging what the Lord has done. Because if you remember through all of this book that God has faithfully kept his promises from the beginning. So what he's saying is he's saying, God's faithfulness is a truth that, that we have. It's a seed of truth that we have. And the reason that we have it is because God has faithfully walked with us and displayed this truth over and over and over again in our presence. So much so that he has planted this truth so deep into your hearts that in the darkest of moments, like we talk about the pit of despair, that if you would go all the way down into the pit of despair, all that would remain, you would still find there's a seed and that seed would proclaim to you, God is faithful. So when your mind can't tell you and your flesh is deceiving you, that your soul itself, the innermost being would say, you know this to be true, that God is faithful. I feel like I've, um, man, I've been there. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you can relate to that where it feels like even though you would be able to say with your mouth, it feels like everything just to acknowledge that God's faithfulness. Um, and he points to God's faithfulness for a purpose. Um, he doesn't only point to what God has done, but he's also pointing to what God will do. So look at verse four through five. Um, it says, behold, I have allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west, the Lord your God will push them back before you and give them out of your and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. So Joshua is looking back, helping them look back in order to see a way forward. Like he's saying, look at what God has done so that you can see in the battle that is coming that God has already promised these victories and so that you can rest in that faithfulness. What Israel, the place that they're in right now is in this like already not yet season where they've been given the land, they have the land, but there's still more battles ahead of them. 
that Joshua is sending them out into this inheritance. And But these inheritance, they have an instruction to drive out the, the people that have rejected the Lord, that have knowingly rejected the Lord, that his, their role is to drive out these people. And there's these battles that are ahead of them. And they said, in order for you to endure these battles, you need to reflect on the faithfulness of God. Because everything that we have gone through is a testament to what will happen. Um, and so it's this season of you've already gained this promise, but it's not yet fully received. Um, and for us in Christ, that is exactly where we are. Um, that is exactly where we are. We are in a time where God's promise has taken a fuller shape, that we have gone from this from this time where we have just a nation of Israel and God receiving in people anyone that would turn to him. And you see these prophets that proclaim who Christ is. You see these kings that are a picture of what our king is. But everything falls short until Christ comes on the scene. And as Christ comes on the scene, what you see is one that fulfills the law and the prophets and the promises perfectly. The one that Israel needed from the beginning. And so you have, this, you have this person in Christ that comes and is our sacrifice and rises from the grave. And as a result of that, that there is this new inheritance that we can have. And we live in this place where we possess this inheritance. But Jesus talked about a kingdom. That Jesus says that there's going to be a day where all of this sin that we have, not only will we be set free from it here, but we will be fully removed from its presence. That there will be only glory that remains. And you look forward to that day. Um, so you see all throughout the New Testament that this idea of already being with the Lord and not yet being fully with him, um, it's all over the New Testament. Uh, I have this slide that we just kind of threw together. We just call it the in-between. Sounds good. Um, these are just different things. We are, we are already adopted in Christ, but we wait eagerly for, the, for adoption. We are already redeemed in Christ, but are, already, but are looking for the day of redemption. Already sanctified in Christ, but not yet fully sanctified completely. Already saved in Christ, but anticipating a final salvation. Already raised with Christ, but one day we will be raised to imperishable bodies. There is this, this has, we've been given this, but one day we'll be fully, fully revealed. Um, so this is what you see, that the God of Moses and Joshua and David um, is the same God who sends his son into our world and who says, John 10, 10, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so the question that we possessed in the very beginning was, that we, that we put before us in the beginning was, um, so what does it look like for us to, um, to live now in this inheritance that we've been given? And what does it look like for us to have a legacy and to carry this legacy in such a way that it would honor the Lord who gave it to us? And Jesus comes and he says, I have come that you can have life and that you would have it in a way that is abundant. Um, man, I think that is, um, that is something that we all desperately need and we look in so many places for. 
that we that we search it's almost just like it, it is human nature in us that we would search and we would try to find places where we would find fulfillment in our life and what jesus says is that in me that anyone who would lose his life would save it but anyone who would save would anyone who would save his life would lose it but anyone who would lose his life for my sake would actually save it that jesus says that the way to this life that you are seeking you have this inheritance, the way to hold it, the way to live in this land is to die to yourself and to believe in me and to live out of my life. That's the invitation. So Jesus then dies and he gives us this inheritance. The way the author of Hebrews says it, he says, therefore brothers, in Hebrews 10, therefore brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, listen to this, he says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The author of Hebrews is trying to do the same exact thing um, that Joshua is doing here. He's holding up the faithfulness of God. And he's saying, listen, God has kept his promises. He's been faithful. And because he's been faithful, you can draw near to him. You can be in his presence, but you will be, you will be washed clean. Trust him. What that does for us is that it provides an opportunity for us to live a life um, that leaves a legacy, a faithful legacy. So I want us to just reflect on a couple different things. As you talk about, we have city groups. So um, it's important for us to uh, take these conversations around the word and to actually kind of flesh them out within our group. So uh, these, these questions might be helpful. Uh, this week, as you talk with your city group, talk about um, how does the life of Christ prove that God is faithful? Second, is there a part of your life that does not reflect a belief that God is faithful? And third would be, how has God been faithful to you personally? Um, I would encourage you to just take some time, pray over those questions, and bring them to some other people in your life and see um, how the Lord uses that. The second thing that I want us to see here is that your legacy will be shaped by what you cling to. Your legacy will be shaped by what you cling to. All right, so remember there's three chapters here at the end, chapter 22, 23, and uh, 24. And the question that we are asking is, how should we now live in this land? Um, and what you see in, the very, in chapter 22 is that there's this inner conflict that happens within the tribes. And then you get to chapter 23, and what we have is these external uh, dangers that are coming for the people of Israel. So Joshua says in 23, verse 7, he says, You may not mix with the nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Um, now, this is uh, helpful. What you see here is there's still more um, land to be conquered. There's more, pe more people to be pushed out. And what we see from those people is that these are people that um, have uh, a full knowledge, a knowledge of who God is, but have chosen to reject him. And um, I think it's helpful for us because when I read this, one of my first thoughts is, does this mean that we're not supposed to be around anyone that's not a follower of the Lord? 
Um, and I look at this and I'm like, well, absolutely not. Jesus tells us the exact opposite, where he sends us into the world to be his representatives. Uh, and so Joshua is saying here, he says, there's a difference between actually moving towards a broken world and people and, and spreading the love of Christ and the mission of Christ. Um, and what we have here, which is um, sitting around and it, people, I would say the best way to put it would be um, to, uh, to be with people that are um, actively um, trying to in, entice and draw you into worship um, of another God. And that's where, that's where these people are. Uh, the, these are people that have uh, rejected the Lord and are drawing, at this point, drawing the people of Israel in. And what, what Joshua is saying is, like, don't have anything to do with them. Like, don't have anything to do with that. And you can see here the way that he outlines this, where he says, first, don't make mention of their names or swear, swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. There's a progression to it. Um, where there's, and this is kind of just how sin so easily clings to us, that we enter into the presence of um, sin and we just are, we linger longer than we should. And we just kind of wait. Um, and there's something in us that desires that. And he's saying, be careful, because if you're not careful, what's going to happen is you are, these people, these are going to consume you. Um, an illustration that we have used over and over again, I think is just like one of my favorite illustrations for like sin and the way that it just consumes, um, is a story about, uh, this is just, I heard this from a pastor a long time ago. Um, so uh, a story about a girl uh, who had a pet snake. Are you guys familiar with this story? Yeah, okay, let's do it. Um, all right, so there was this girl that had a pet snake. I think snakes are weird. Um, so I'm just not, I don't understand. First of all, I'm already out. Uh, but, uh, some people are okay with that. And so I'm just like, all right, something's already off. So she has a pet snake and she would, and I don't know what you do with a pet snake, but one of the things that you do is you enjoy it by playing with it. So you just like bring it out, you know, and you let it kind of like crawl around. Um, and this snake would grow and the girl would actually get to the point where she would let this snake, when she would sleep, she would let the snake like, like sleep next to her. Um, and so the snake would, would sleep and, you know, she would go to the veterinarian and it was, um, she would have these conversations with the doctor talking about like, oh, my pet snake, you know, super love this snake. Um, and they would, the doctor just had like questions of like, all right, so how's it doing? How's its health? Uh, and this girl eventually said like, hey, I don't even know that this is worth mentioning, but when I sleep, when I wake up, this snake is like, like right up next to me. Like it just kind of like lies right next to my side. I'm like, that is disgusting. Um, but it lies right next to my side. And she's like, I don't know if that's like weird, but it's just like happening consistently. Um, and he says, you need to kill this snake. Um, and she was like, what are you talking about? This is my snake. I love this thing. Um, and he says, what that snake is doing is it is measuring you every single night to see how big it has to get in order to eat you whole. Um, and you're just like, what? And so, see, you know, then you begin to look at it differently. And I think it's, it's just helpful for us because what we see here with our sin is one of the things that we do is we just keep these things around. 
like we just sit with them, right? And we're just like, man, this thing's just in my room and you know, it's not hurting anybody and it's just right here. And then what we don't realize is that these things, these things lead to death. Like they consume us. And if we're not careful, they grow to a certain point and where they will actually destroy us. And so I think what Joshua is saying right here is you're going into these lands and in these lands, there's going to be idols. And what these things are meant to do is to draw you away from the Lord. They're designed to do that. And so he's saying, be very, very careful about how you go about this. Do not linger. Do not wait. And actually what he says eventually, he talks about marriage. He says, don't marry. And the reason that you would not marry into another relationship like that, into another people like that, is because the nature of marriage. The nature of marriage is one where two people become one. And he's saying, you are in the world, but you're not of the world. Do not become the world. You cannot do this. You cannot, and if you are to do that, that you would be treated the same way that everyone else before them has been treated. Why? Because God is holy because he's a holy God, that he's a just God. And so he's saying, be careful about the way that you interact with these sins. Um, he eventually says, uh, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eye until you perish from off of this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. So there's this promise of you've been given this inheritance in the promised land. This place was not just meant for you to enjoy in your flesh. This place was actually meant for you to be with your maker. That's the whole point is that you would be with God in this place. And that if you choose to not be with the Lord, that if you choose to indulge in these things, that actually you are going to lose this inheritance. Um, and God is faithful and he continues to bring his people back. And we're going to go through all the cycle. And Brian's going to talk a little bit next week about what actually takes place. Um, and I think one of the questions that when I see that is like, we ask, how could God do something like that? Like, how could God do that? How is he just in doing that? In driving out these people, and honestly, and taking this inheritance that we've been given and saying, if you don't maintain this, that you, it will be lost. Um, and one of the things that I thought of is, uh, actually, I think it's helpful to see that we actually act as God and try to do this to each other all the time. I don't know if, if you, um, that we, if people do not, uh, match up to our moral standards, uh, that they are not accepted around us. And the difficult part about that, and we'll just say it this way. So, like, have you ever watched um, the show The Office or Seinfeld? Uh, I can quote way too, way too much from the, the shows. But one of the things that I hear people say all the time is, man, we could never make this today. And the reason that we say that is because some of the jokes that they say in there are, would not be acceptable. Because the moral scope of what we deem acceptable has shifted. And so we see this, that there is a moral standard that we somehow, we struggle to make up and we just um, imperfectly, uh, we discern what is good and what is right in our time. And if you don't align with those things that you are pushed out, you are pushed outside of those. And we do that and we do this imperfectly um, all the time. 
And what we don't acknowledge is that all that we're doing is repackaging old sins. Um, the way that we, the way the thing that I thought of was, um, it's like per someone that's vaping, looking at someone with a cigarette and being like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> uh, I, I read a stat this week that said 80% of total sales in vaping industry are owned by Ultra, um, the parent company of Marlboro um, and Reynolds America, which is Newport. Um, tobacco is vaping. <laughs> And I, you look at that and you're just like, man, well, this is acceptable now, but it wasn't acceptable then. And we're just like, we're just so confused and we're trying to navigate this world and decide what is good and what is not good. And if you're not good by our standards, then you're rejected. And we do this all the time. And we look at this and we look at the Lord and we're like, well, what the Lord is, is he is a solid ground. He is a holy being. He is a standard, a holy standard that doesn't waver, that doesn't change. And what he's saying is, in order for you to be in my presence, that there is a standard, a true standard that has to be met. And so as we just like struggle to define what is good, the Lord does not. That he says, I am good. I am holy and set apart. And what he does is he invites us into this. Into this. Um, and the way that he does it and the way that Joshua says it here is uh, Joshua 23, 8. He says, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Verse 11, he says, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Verse 6, he says, therefore, be very strong and keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. What does it look like uh, for us to walk faithfully with our God? Um, I think it's, it's everything that we have said over the past two weeks is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And as a result of that, to love your neighbor as yourself. I think the question that we have then is how do we do this? <laughs> how do we do this well? Um, we struggle to do this. And if the standard is perfection, we will fail. And we see that with the people of Israel. But what we see with Christ is that we are given this open door in a unique way, um, in a unique power. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 6. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. Do you, do you catch that? So he's not saying just don't do these things any longer. Actually, what he says is, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, he's saying your spirit and the spirit of God are required together to put to death these things. Like if there's gonna be any kind of progress that is made in your life and eliminating things that are keeping you from the Lord, that there has to be acknowledgement that I can't do this on my own, that I desperately need the Lord who is faithful. And the reason that in the way in which he's shown me his faithfulness is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I run to that faithfulness day in and day out. When I wake up, as I go to lunch, as I'm at work, as I'm in my community, as I'm on my block, as I go to bed, as I sit at night, as I have my phone, as I talk to people, part of me says, I can't do this alone. I need a, a power that is stronger than myself. 
Has anyone ever gotten there where you're like, I've wrestled for, with this for way too long? Like I've wrestled with this sin that is just here for way too long. I need someone to help me. And I think what I would say is the same thing that Joshua says. He says, look to the Lord who is faithful and that he sent his son for our sins and he's given us his spirit. And with his spirit that we can put to death the deeds of the body. And as a result of that, look at what we get life. He says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So how does God do this through his spirit? He gives us power. One of the things that he does is he's a witness. He testifies that when you walk out of this door, that the spirit of God would whisper in your ear that you are mine. That if you are a follower of Christ, that he would say, you are not of this world anymore. That you are different. And that if you feel different, that's okay. That if there's a holiness that you feel called to and there's a conviction that you feel, that's, that's because you're a child of God. Those things are required that the Spirit of God and our spirit together would find a life that walks in purity and holiness. And it's not a perfect life. I promise you that. It's not perfect. But the cross of Jesus Christ is what, is what offers us that perfection. That Jesus gives us this hope. And as a result of that, that we can together be in his presence and walk with him. So um, the last two questions that I want you to consider as you go into this week um, with your group is, um, are you clinging to the Lord in his word and fighting sin by the power of his spirit? Are you clinging to the uh, world in any areas of your life that is ultimately leading to death? So I think the best way to deal with these is just to be as honest as you can with yourself. And one of the beautiful things about what God has done is that like Isaac said this morning, that we're not meant to do this alone, um, that we're actually meant to do this in community so that there would be moments that we would call on our brother or sister, that another saint and that would minister to us and that they would call out these things into the light. And that they would provide a space where, you would, there, where someone can be honest about, these are the things that I've got hidden. Those snakes, this is what I got. And I just, I can't have them alone and I can't kill them alone. I need a, a brother or sister to help me do this. Uh, and so I think those are the moments where you call on somebody. And if that's where you're at, please, like that's the purpose of the body is that we would grow in holiness individually and as a result together. Um, and I think as you consider a, a legacy um, and as... As Aaron and um, Brian come up here and as we close in worship, um, I would just in, encourage you to, as you go into this week, consider, well, am I thinking beyond tomorrow? Um, we just so rarely do it. Am I just thinking about today? Is my mind just consumed about getting the next job? Am I, am I just thinking five years and 10 years? Am I actually thinking about a kingdom and eternity? 
Like, do I consider that the, the ground that I'm standing on as a follower of Jesus is a foundation that was laid by Christ? One day I've been, I've been given this, line, this, this life an allotted amount of time, and one day I'm going to hand it off. It's not mine to begin with. And so am I going to be at a position where I'm going to hand this off well, that I'll be able to look at to a brother or sister and I would say, listen, God is faithful. This is what I've learned in my life. God is faithful. He's kept his promises. You're gonna have battles. He will keep his promises. So walk in holiness before him. Enter into his presence. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And in doing so, that you would be, you would be someone that God uses as a, a fruitful tree that would produce this fruit that would abide well beyond your years. Like well beyond your years. Um that God would use the fruit in your life in a way that creates a legacy, not for our name, um, but for the name of Christ. So as you go into lunch and as you go into your conversations, talk about these things. Do you think that way? It's important that as Christians, we think that way. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for today. Um, Lord, as we think about uh, a legacy and what it's going to look like to hand off um, the work that you have given us one day, um, Lord, I pray that we would do it as Joshua has, with a heart that is full. Lord, a life that has just learned that you are faithful. Lord, Joshua just has this feeling at the end of his life that he desires, at this point, he desires nothing other than you. Lord, may we arrive there quickly. May we learn that everything else in this world is not to be desired, but Lord, we have no good apart from you. Lord, that you are the one that we treasure. You are our portion. You are our cup. So Lord, I pray that we would um, together as a community walk in holiness. Lord, that we would do so not out of a sense of burden or legalism, Lord, but we would do so because we know in it there is life that you've offered us abundant life. And so, Lord, may we be compelled, not just by our spirit, but by your spirit. May we be compelled Lord, to do away with anything that's not of you and to walk in a way um, that is pure and clean. Lord, may that be a tool in your hand that would be fruitful for your kingdom here in Philadelphia, in our workplace, in our homes. Um, Lord, may it be useful to produce fruit that goes well beyond our years. Father, we love you. In your name, amen.